All right, cool. Everybody who is or is not watching, hopefully everybody watching, uh, thanks for joining us tonight for our first and hopefully first of many uh, dialogue slash debate on various topics on the page. Uh, today, specifically, uh, we titled it On What Foundation? Debating the Doctrine of Sola Scriptura. So this is going to be a debate on the specific doctrine of Sola Scriptura. Is the scripture the sole infallible rule of faith for the church, or is there another standard by which we can operate? Uh, today, our debate participants are Solomon White and Alex Lanchi. So if you guys want to introduce yourself, Solomon, if you want to introduce yourself, any uh, anything you want to say? Yeah, uh, I'm Solomon. Um, I kind of help run the page with Julian and Abby. And uh, yeah, super excited to, to do this. Uh, just been reading up, kind of studying up for this. And it's uh, something that's really important to me um, because, yeah, it's on what foundation. It kind of, it's, it's the bedrock of, of our faith and our anchor of uh, everything we believe can be found in the Bible. So it's not this ongoing ever form ever ever changing thing it's it's just solid ground to stand on and that's extremely important um just to have a, a standard and and rule of faith that that doesn't change and uh and it causes it forces you to to learn the bible it forces you to know the bible and that's extremely important too because this is gonna be a rule of faith we better know it you know so uh, and I, I really like that aspect of it too so yeah sola scriptura uh scripture alone is uh extremely important i'm really glad we're able to talk about it tonight cool and alex if you want to actually tell yourself tell everybody a little bit about yourself uh where you're from what you do go ahead and introduce i'm, the, I'm, I'm the protestant by the way sorry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i guess you probably should have said i'm the reformed uh, yeah. protestant uh talking here so yeah sorry <laughs> i just made it clear no that's good yeah my name is alex i'm from northeast ohio i'm a lay traditional catholic and it's obviously an important issue for me as well, um, it is, as Solomon said, where everything hinges on. Um, if it's sola scriptura is true, then the Catholic religion is in big trouble. And if it's not true, then Protestantism is in big trouble. So it's a serious question and one that, you know, needs to be talked about. And I'm going to really enjoy being here. I'm glad to, have, glad to be on. Well, we want to thank you for coming on. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to get people of other opinions or faith backgrounds to actually have a civil dialogue. So we really do appreciate you coming on and agreeing to do this. A little bit about the format. It's going to be an actual formal debate. So there is going to be a 15 minute opening statements, 15 minutes if they need the full uh, 10 minute rebuttals and then seven minute cross examinations where the asking party gets to ask all the questions. The other party can only answer. They cannot ask questions back. Then we'll switch. Uh, the last 10 minutes, 10 minutes each, closing statements. As far as comments go, guys, feel free to leave your comments. Uh, they will be addressed at the end of the video. So we do ask that you make sure you say who the comment is directed at, if it's at one, the other, or both, and uh, we'll, we'll separate them that way. Uh, we do also ask that you keep your comments civil, uh, regardless of which side of the debate you fall on. We're going to try to keep it on the level here. We do want to have a, a welcoming atmosphere to anybody who wants to take part in this. And, and like I said, we do appreciate Alex coming on in this. So uh, so Solomon won the pre-debate coin toss, so he's elected to go first. So Solomon, you have 10 minutes. Uh, I'm also going to switch the camera view real quick, so only the speaker is talking. So if you guys only see one of us, that will be the reason why. Or uh, 15 minutes for opening statements, right? Yes, he has 15. So uh, Solomon, 
We're going to go ahead and start your time. So whenever you're ready, feel free to go. All right, sounds good. I'll start mine as well. And we're off. Cool. Okay, so my, my main point in the debate this evening is simple. The Bible is the only thing we have that is God-breathed. Scripture is the only thing that the church has today that is theonistos, that is breathed out by God. When it comes to looking for a standard for the standard, there is no better qualification for a source of truth than that which is spoken directly by God. That is what we have in the Bible. The sufficiency of scripture is not a new doctrine that was created at the Reformation. Bishop Cyril of Jerusalem in the year 350 wrote, quote, in regard to the divine and holy mysteries of the faith, not the least part may be handed on without the holy scriptures. Do not be led astray with winning words or clever arguments. Even to me, who tells you these things, do not give ready belief unless you receive from the holy scriptures the proof of the things which I announce. The salvation which we believe is not proved from clever reasoning, but from the holy scriptures, unquote. And uh, Theodore, Bishop of Cyrus from 423 to 457 wrote, he wrote a book in which he presented a dialogue between an Orthodox believer and one who had been led astray. At one point in the book, one of the characters says, quote, the doctrine of the church should be proven, not announced. Therefore, show that the scriptures teach these things, end quote. This is my position. This is what I believe. I do not want to present some doctrine of my own, but rather to show that scripture teaches its own sufficiency as the sole infallible rule of faith for the church. I contrast my position against the likes of popular Catholic writer John O'Brien, who wrote in his highly popular book, The Faith of Millions, quote, great as, our, as is our reverence for the Bible, reason and experience compel us to say that it alone is not a competent nor a safe guide as to what we are to believe. It is my hope and prayer tonight that my friend Alex will reveal that he does not view the Bible as John O'Brien does. It should be understood that there are two positions that are going to be presented tonight, sola scriptura and sola ecclesia. That is scripture alone versus the church alone. I know Roman Catholics do not claim to believe in sola ecclesia, but consider this. Rome claims to be the only entity or organization that is allowed to define the canon of scripture. They also claim that Rome has the infallible authority to uncover the meaning and interpretation of both scripture and tradition. If you are the only authority of the extent and interpretation of scripture and tradition, how can you also be equal or subservient to scripture? It makes no logical sense. This can quickly become a complex issue, but it's important to keep in mind that there are two sides being presented, the authority of scripture versus the authority of the church. Because scripture is the only example of God-breathed revelation that the church has today, it forms the only infallible rule of faith for the church. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, quote, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, end quote. That breathed out by God is theonistos. Scripture provides for us the very exhaled voice of God. Alex might say, uh, Paul was talking about the Old Testament, to which I would agree. But Alex would also agree that the New Testament is scripture as well. Also, Paul in 2 Timothy 3 is not describing, this is very important. Paul in 2 Timothy 3 is not describing the extent of scripture, but rather the nature of scripture. The context of Paul's statement is not about where scripture starts and ends, but rather what scripture actually is. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, 31, Jesus says, quote, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? Jesus held people accountable to what they read in scripture as God authoritatively speaking to them. The scriptures are God speaking to us and God's voice is the highest authority. There is no greater standard that Jesus could refer to there may be other rules, but they are under the subject, un, they are under and subject to the correction of scripture. 
St. Augustine wrote in 413, quote, what more shall I teach you than with what we read in the apostles? For Holy Scripture fixes the rule for our doctrine, lest we dare to be wiser than we ought. Therefore, I should not teach you anything else except to expound to you the words of the teacher, end quote. And again, elsewhere, Augustine wrote, neither, quote, neither dare one agree with Catholic bishops if by chance they err in anything with the result that their opinion is against the canonical scriptures of God, unquote. So now I'd like to take a moment to explain what I believe Sola Scriptura is and is not. Okay, what Sola Scriptura is, one, the doctrine of Sola Scriptura simply stated is that the scriptures alone are sufficient to function as the regular fide, the infallible rule of faith for the church. The Bible is the sufficient standard by which all claims of God or Christianity can be measured. The Bible is what should form and shape our beliefs, doctrine, and liturgy. Number two, all that one must believe to be a Christian is found in scripture and in no other source. There is nothing that one must believe to enter the kingdom of heaven that is not found in scripture. The Bible is the only source we have that has everything that the Christian must believe to be saved. Number three, that which is not found in scripture, either directly or by necessary implication, is not binding upon the Christian. If there is any tradition or any sort of, quote, normative practice for Christianity that is not found in the Bible, then Christians are not bound to do it by godly mandate. Number four, scripture reveals these things necessary, those things necessary for salvation. There is nothing that is needed for salvation that is not found in scripture. It contains everything pertaining to what saves us. Number five, all traditions are subject to the higher authority of scripture. There are traditions of the church, but they fall under the authority of scripture. All traditions or stories or liturgy for the church are measured by measured up to the standard of scripture. So now what sola scriptura is not. Number one, first and foremost, sola scriptura is not a claim that the Bible contains all knowledge. There are other specific truths found outside of scripture. For example, it will not tell you how to fix the transmission on your car. Number two, Sola Scriptura is not a claim that the Bible is an exhaustive catalog of all religious knowledge. There are things that Jesus and the apostles did that are not recorded in the Bible. John 21, 25 says this, you know, if all the things were recorded that Jesus did, there would not be enough room in the world to fill all the books. So just because the Bible is not an exhaustive record of every event of Jesus in the apostles' life doesn't mean it's not a sufficient source of truth. Do we need to know the color of Bartholomew's hair, clothing, or clothing worn by Judas, or what they ate every day? No. Number three, Sola Scriptura is not a denial of all authority of the church to teach God's truth. In 1 Timothy 3.15, the church is referred to as, quote, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. To this I say, amen. But pillars are put in place to lift something up. They're the secondary underlying thing that supports and holds up the main thing. The church remains subservient to scripture. Number, three, number four, Sola Scriptura is not a denial that the word of God has at times been spoken. The Bible doesn't record every syllable uttered by Christ and the apostles, but it does hold that nothing they would have said outside of what's recorded is different or contradictory to what was recorded in the scripture. Number five, Sola Scriptura does not entail the rejection of every kind or form of tradition. Church traditions exist, but they will not contradict or contribute anything new to scripture. They don't inform or interpret scripture. Number six, Sola Scriptura is not a denial of the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding and enlightening the church. The Holy Spirit is not silenced. The Holy Spirit will bring understanding in everything. Second Timothy 3, 7 uh, says that. One, uh, one could read the Bible from front to back and not become a Christian. In fact, many atheist Bible scholars do just that. The work of the Holy Spirit is imperative. 
Isaiah 55, 11 says, quote, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When someone reads the Bible, the Holy Spirit will or will not draw them to God. So now I'd like to deal with right away one particularly bad argument against Sola Scriptura. That is that the doctrine of Sola Scriptura is some sort of roadmap to chaos. It goes something like this. There are thousands and thousands of Protestant denominations. Therefore, Sola Scriptura has failed. The misuse of a sufficient source is not a valid argument against that source. For example, everyone has an iPhone or Android, but we only use them to a very minimal extent of what they're capable of. Uh, it's been said that we have more computing power in our smartphones than they did in the first mission to the moon, and we use them to watch cat videos. If people were to research and read instructions on their smartphones, we could be getting so much more out of them, but we don't. We don't read directions, we don't follow instructions, but the instructions directions are still there. Just because people don't want to take the Bible seriously and apply it correctly, doesn't mean the Bible is insufficient. There were errors and heresies even in the days of the apostles, but it would be ridiculous to say that it's because Paul's letters and teachings were insufficient. I make no claim that there will be absolute agreement of all opinions in the Christian church. The sinfulness and rebellion of man still exists. The Roman Catholic Church today has many disagreements and divergences. I'm sure Alex would not agree entirely with every other Catholic apologist on every point, and I'm willing to concede that this does not necessarily disprove his arguments. So we ought to test everything by scripture. Acts 17, 10, and 11 says, quote, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Bereans were called more noble because they squared Paul's words with scripture before believing. This is what we ought to do with any idea or doctrine taught by man. One error, of the, uh, one error particularly of the Council of Trent that the Catholic Church still preaches today is that tradition, whatever that may be, is inspired. This is the, the partum partum idea from the Council of Trent that revelation from God comes to us in two forms, partly in scripture and partly in oral traditions. So, and, and this primarily gets from uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, which says, quote, so then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Despite Catholic attempts to misuse this verse and turn it into some foundation for the idea that we need to have an infallible organization for God to have us know anything, what this verse is actually talking about is one message being delivered two ways, by Paul's preaching when he was personally with the Thessalonians and by letter from Paul. 2 Thessalonians 2.5 says, do you not remember that, that when I was still with you, I told you these things. These were truths that the church of the Thessal Thessalonica already believed. There was nothing in the oral preaching that didn't line up with the scriptures that had been written. Paul is not talking about an extra biblical revelation in this passage. He's talking about the gospel. Paul is not imploring the Thessalonians to stand firm in any oral tradition. He's telling them to stand firm in the gospel. Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria, stood against the majority of the established church in his day. After the Council of Nicaea in 325, the issue of the deity of Christ was not over. The vast majority of the church in his day turned from believing in the deity of Christ to an Arian position, and Athanasius faced much persecution and oppression from the church for believing differently, but were forever in his debt for his faithfulness. Athanasius writes on, in, on the incarnation, quote, let this then Christ-loving man be our offering to you, just for a rudimentary sketch and outline and a short compass of the faith of Christ and of his divine appearing usward. But you taking occasion by this, if you light upon the text of the scriptures, by generally applying your mind to them, will learn from them more completely and clearly the exact detail of what we have said. 
for they were spoken and written by God through men of who spoke for God, end quote. Athanasius would disagree with John O'Brien's idea that scripture is not a safe guide to what we are to believe. Athanasius said in the sacred writings of St. Athanasius, uh, for, the to quote, for the tokens of scriptures are more exact as drawn from scriptures than from other sources, end quote. At the Council of Nicaea, Athanasius defended scripture saying, quote, but since Holy Scripture is of all things most sufficient for us, therefore recommending to those desiring to know more of, of these matters to read the divine word. I now hasten to set before you that these, that, that, that which most claims attention for the sake of which principally I have written these things, end quote. I agree with Athanasius when he also writes, quote, for indeed the holy and God-breathed scriptures are self-sufficient for the preaching of the truth, end quote. How did this Protestant claim end up in the church in the second century? We stood, he stood against the majority of the church and did not give up the deity of Christ solely on the authority of scripture. When Jesus encountered those who had traditions that were in fact divine in origin and were passed down orally over centuries, he said this, Mark 7, 8 through 13, quote, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father and his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. These are the words of Jesus. In closing, I'd like to issue a challenge and an invitation to Alex. I'd like to challenge him to provide another infallible rule of faith that we have today that is more reliable than the God-breathed scriptures. If he cannot provide one, I'd like to invite Alex out of the Roman Catholic tradition and to believe the true gospel and the sufficiency of Christ in his word. Thanks. That's it. All right. So 13. So we'll add two to the end for questions. Not bad. <clears throat> All right, Alex, you're up. Uh, let me know. Give me your hand signal when you're ready to go, and we'll go ahead and get you started. All right. We well, should be good to go, Julian. All right. Ready? Go. <clears throat> All right. So my opening statement, this debate really centers around who or what is the instrumental cause of delivering truth. So the defender of Sola Scriptura, which I'm going to say SS because I have to repeat that way too many times, uh, maintains that the Bible alone is the infallible rule and delivery system of faith and truth. And so I propose to show the immensity of the problems facing that position and show that it's actually indefensible on its own terms. I will highlight how SS is defeated when you examine three basic major categories. The Bible itself refutes it. Epistemology we'll look at, which is how we know. And we will also take a look at history. So first, some Bible verses and Bible-related questions that do not support SS. All the quotations are taken from the King James Version, which is a common Protestant uh, version of the Bible. Quote, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction, 2 Peter 3.16. So this implies that every man is not able to read the Bible because some are unlearned and some are unstable, and these people cause their own destruction by the scriptures. This means it is possible to misinterpret scripture and to misinterpret it so badly that it leads to one's own destruction. So how does the proponent of sola scriptura know that he has gleaned the true meaning of scripture when he reads it? Another verse, Romans 10, 17. 
So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you examine the Greek here, hearing literally means the faculty of hearing. Seems pretty obvious, but the word, when it says the word of God, that's the Greek word rematos, which means an utterance. It does not mean the written word, which many Protestants wrongly conclude when they only read the English. So you have to have the utterance of God and then you use your actual hearing faculty. Well, if you have to hear, you can't hear a book. So that goes back to the Holy Spirit. You have to hear the utterance of God and someone then would have to tell you what that is. You'd have to have a preacher, as the eunuch of Candace said to Philip, how will I know if no one teaches me? He did not say that he knew the scriptures just by reading them. He actually admitted that he could not understand without a teacher. Another verse, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. And again, when you look in the Greek, these are dealing with, the word here is dealing with something that is said. It is, and I think Solomon actually mentioned this, it is some people falsely conclude that that's also talking about the Bible, but it's not. It's talking about something spoken. And that epistle would be dealing with something that was written. And lastly, for the Bible verses, 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So the church is the ecclesia, and that is a calling out or a popular meeting, especially a religious congregation. Pillar, it comes from the Greek word stylos, which means a pillar, support, or column. And the foundation from the Greek is meaning a foundation, a stay, or a support, coming from a base word, which means a support or a basis. So how can Sola Scriptura be the sole infallible rule when Scripture itself identifies the church as the foundation of truth? It's not just the pillar. It is the foundation. Now, of course, Christ is the actual foundation, but there is this lack of understanding of the tiredness. Jesus can be the ultimate foundation and still have the church be the foundation. Otherwise, the Protestant would have to say that Scripture is more of a foundation than Jesus, which I don't think they're going to want to say. Another just question that comes to mind when you read the Bible is if Sola Scriptura is true, why did Jesus tell the apostles to make disciples and teach them to observe all things in Matthew 28, 19, instead of telling them to write down the scriptures? Why isn't there any verse that shows Jesus even giving an order to write down the New Testament? Jesus doesn't give any explicit order to write down anything. He does tell them, however, to preach and to teach, but he does not order them to write anything. So Sola Scriptura is really the sole infallible rule. Why didn't our Lord and Savior tell his own disciples what to write? If SS is true, why does Jesus tell Peter he will build his church in Matthew 16, 18, instead of write his scriptures? I say unto, unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Why is it the church and not the scripture, if scripture is ultimately that foundation that Jesus wants us to rest our head on? Now, interestingly, back when me and Solomon were first talking about this, he admitted in our debate in comment chat that Scripture doesn't actually say Scripture alone anywhere. It's not explicitly stated. He quoted 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, and I said, Solomon, I don't dispute, all that, I don't dispute that all Scripture is God-breathed. No good Catholic would. But I said, where does that verse say Scripture alone? And Solomon said, quote, this verse doesn't say Scripture alone. Christians say scripture alone based on verses like this. Sola Scriptura is an answer to a question. 
The question is, what is the final authority? What else do we have that is God-breathed? Nothing. Well, if the Catholic argument is right, we do have a God-breathed church. This does not settle the debate at all, because if Scripture really was the sole foundation, it would have to be self-affirming. And Solomon has admitted that there is no verse that actually says that Scripture alone is sufficient. You have to kind of interpret that out of the text, but it's not actually written in there. Next, we move on to epistemology. So can God contradict himself? No, little background. How many faiths are there in the church? Only one, Ephesians 4, 5. So if we have a contradiction in faith on core dogmatic doctrinal issues, then what do we know for certain? Both of us cannot be inspired by the Holy Ghost, and both of us cannot be quoting truth if there is a contradiction there, because the Holy Ghost does not inspire contradictions or multiple faiths. So with that truth in mind, let's continue. The fact that we're even sitting down to debate the truth and meaning of sola scriptura proves that the debate is not settled. You need an authoritative living church that is infallibly guided by the Holy Ghost to settle the debate. The Protestant has to argue that they are guided by the Holy Ghost to interpret scripture. So it has to, it's one or the other. The problem then is if we're both going to claim Holy Ghost inspiration, there is no way to settle that debate. Solomon says, the Holy Spirit inspires me when I read it, and I say he inspires me. So how do you figure it out then? Well, you have to interpret the verses. That's where it gets sticky. A really good Sola Scriptura defender would just hand me the Bible and say, read it. They wouldn't spend time defending it because they shouldn't need to. It's self-affirming. It can do it all by itself. And they could assume then that the Holy Ghost has guided us both to truth if we both come back and agree on all the meanings. But that's assuming they understood the scriptures correctly in the first place. But if I don't arrive at the same meaning, they have to say that I must not be sincere. Because if I was, we would agree because the Holy Ghost can't inspire contradictions. But this is the whole problem of the issue is how can we know who is sincere and who is not when reading the scriptures? Both sides will have the appearance of it. And so how do we settle the debate? Having the debate at all proves that sola scriptura is insufficient to settle disputes. You need churchmen of authority. I am assuming that Solomon would claim he is a member of the church, the body of believers, the mystical body. And yet he defends sola scriptura. I claim I'm a member of the mystical body, and I do not defend sola scriptura. So we have a contradiction. How can Solomon and I both read the same scriptures, the same New Testament, and come away with different and incompatible meanings if we are both really members of the mystical body guided by the Holy Ghost? At least one of us is wrong, if not both of us. If we use sola scriptura as our methodology for discovering infallible truth, can we tell who is correct? No, because the whole debate is what does the scripture mean? And we don't agree. So if your fundamental presupposition for knowledge is a book, then you cannot appeal to anything outside the book, or that then becomes your true fundamental presupposition. This is a major problem for sola scriptura because as we shall see in the history section, there are a myriad of questions that cannot be answered when you use sola scriptura as your foundational presupposition. Another problem for epistemology is, is the particular Protestant an infallible interpreter? Is anyone an infallible interpreter? If no one is, then how can they know that the Pope or Rome is not? Wouldn't it take infallibility to know that no one else had infallibility? If the Holy Ghost inspires all sincere souls with the truth when reading scripture, as some will claim, I don't think Solomon would claim that, how do we know the Holy Ghost didn't inspire the popes or the councils of the Catholic Church? How can you know who is sincere or not? 
Just because Rome's interpretation does not agree with a Protestant does not prove Rome is false, because that is the whole debate at hand, who is correct. As my opponent already admitted in our uh, text conversation from a while back, scripture itself does not affirm scripture alone. Scripture, sola scriptura, I'm sorry, is therefore an oral tradition, which is not protected by infallibility according to its own logic, because it is outside the Bible. It's an assertion made by non-Catholics, but according to their own methodology, it fails. If scripture alone is the infallible rule of faith, it would have to clearly self-affirm. And since it doesn't, this means the truth of the proposition of SS has to be determined by looking outside of scripture. And interestingly, Solomon's already appealed to a lot of early church fathers, which are church authorities, not the actual scripture. He's referring to their testimony that the scriptures are good, wholesome, etc. Why is he appealing to them? Why not quote the verse? Lastly is history. Now we come to perhaps the most damning section of all for SS. And we'll see why Cardinal Newman famously said to be deep in history is to cease to be a Protestant. It is a fact the early church disputed books which would make up the canon. Some were universally agreed upon like the Gospels, but others were hotly debated. Ones that were hotly debated were the Epistle of James, of Jude, Second Epistle of Peter, Second and Third John, the Epistle to the Hebrews, and the Apocalypse or the Book of Revelation of St. John. It is a historical fact that the councils of Hippo and Carthage in 382 and 397, respectively, confirmed the scriptural canon. The same list of scripture was also affirmed by the Council of Florence in 1431 and the Council of Trent, 1545 to 1563. All of these councils included the seven Old Testament books that Protestants call the Apocrypha, Tobias, Baruch, Judith, Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus, First and Second Maccabees, as well as seven chapters of Esther and 66 verses of the third chapter of Daniel. Why haven't Protestants reviewed all the early disputed writings to see for themselves if they're a part of scripture? Why do they trust that the Catholic councils got the New Testament canon correct? Why do they trust that disputed books like the Epistle of James was correctly added to the canon and that other disputed books like Paul's Epistle to the Laodiceans was correctly left out of the canon? Many Protestants are likely not even aware that some of Paul's epistles are not included in the canon. Other books not included were Third Epistle of St. Peter, St. Peter's Apocalypse, and the Epistle of St. Clement, and more could be named. How does the non-Catholic know these books were correctly left out? And more importantly, how can Sola Scriptura answer that question? These are historical questions which by definition are outside the canon and thus cannot be answered by the canon. The canon doesn't say why St. Paul's Epistle to the Laodiceans was not included. And so how does the non-Catholic know it should be left out? And even if they think it should be left out, on what do they base that judgment and how can they be certain of it? It is also a historical fact, as we said, the Bibles written before the 16th century contained the so-called Apocrypha. If SS is true, then it's a fact that souls were being given false Bibles from the 4th century when the Bible was canonized to the 16th century. For example, the Septuagint was a Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, which included the Apocrypha. It was made for Greek-speaking Jews in Egypt in the 3rd and 2nd centuries BC and adopted by early Christian churches. If this ancient manuscript has the Apocrypha, why do modern Protestant OTs not have them? It is also a historical fact that many of the original manuscripts were in running hand, which is all capital letters with no division between the words called unchul. Was the translation from this format to modern formatting with divided words, chapter headings, numbered verses, etc., infallible? We got one minute, Julian? You got a minute and a half. A minute and a half. If not, why would any Protestant trust their modern Bible? Can any of them even do the work necessary to translate from Unschuld to modern English to check the work of the ancient Catholic translators? There are also variations in the biblical text, 
And if translation and copies are not preserved from error by the church, and SS is supposed to be the sole infallible rule of faith, then how can we trust the scriptures we have today? It's a fact that errors and mistranslations occur. How is this possible if SS is true? How can the Protestant recognize the infallible text from the fallible ones? Which translation and copies are infallible? How can you tell? The Bible doesn't identify the King James Version or the New International Version as infallible because they didn't exist. So why does the Sola Scriptura proponent trust that they are? In conclusion, SS is refuted by Scripture itself. It's a lack of, has a no working epistemology, and the cold facts of history are conclusive. I look forward to hearing my opponent attempt to answer some of these questions in the rebuttal or maybe cross-examination, hopefully not by appealing to a higher standard than Scripture. All right. Thank you for that. All right. So now into the rebuttal period. Solomon, if you're set, let me reset the clock here. All right. You have 10 minutes for your rebuttal starting right now. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Let's see. I took some notes. So let's see. Uh, for second period 316, some men are unlearned or unstable. This could lead to destruction. Yeah. So where the, the distinction must be made between sola scriptura and solo scriptura. So what I'm, what I'm not claiming is solo scriptura, which is me alone by myself under a tree. Right. I, under, I completely understand that if I just go off or any person, any person just goes off and just reads the Bible, like I said, I'm opening statement front to back. That does not mean you will be a Christian. That does not mean that I, I, do, I do not deny the work of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. So it's not uh, the Bible isolated from everything else uh, as, as all that you need. You do need the Holy Spirit. And there is a command for a church, for community, for fellow believers. And that is for a reason. So I, I don't deny any of those things uh, are part of the process and things that God uses to, to work through. Um, Romans ten seventeen healing means the fact the, the, the faculty hearing means the faculty of hearing like the actual hearing. Um, I agree, but what what would they be saying that isn't in Scripture? That's that's kind of my whole point with all this is that I I do believe that at times Scripture was spoken, right? So if Paul, you know, preached for what three years in Ephesus, and we don't have those things. So, but none of that's I would agree that that's Scripture, and I would agree that we don't have it. So it's something that was orally spoken by the apostles or Jesus that is scripture that we don't have. Um, but those things, I, don't, I do not believe, would contradict anything we do have in scripture. So, and also the, factual, the actual faculty of hearing, I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't mean deaf people cannot become saved or cannot hear the word of God if they would read it or <laughs> have it signed to them. I don't think I'm not saying there's power in ink and paper I'm saying there is power in the word and however you can receive that. Yes, but it is the word of God. And primarily that's been through written down, but it doesn't have, it can be spoken. It can be heard. It can be preached. But if it is scripture, it is what is in the Bible. then that's what we're talking about. Um, let's see. Yeah. We do need to be taught the, the scriptures. It's not, again, just me alone by myself under a tree. That's, that's, that's not proper Christianity. I agree with that. Um, First Timothy 3.15, Church of the Living God and Pillar and Buttress of the Truth. I agree with that again, but it's, it's lifting something up. I don't, uh, it's, it's, it's very strange that you say the church is the foundation of truth, 
So would you, and, and that the church is infallible. Um, I didn't, I wasn't aware that Catholics thought that the church or the Pope or the councils were infallible, as infallible as scripture. Like anything they say is scripture, is theonostos, is God breathed. Uh, I think you said God breathed church. I don't believe that is a proper category at all, uh, historically or scripturally, of to, to say that the church is God breathed. Um, that, that does not fit with anything that we have uh, a reliable source for. Uh, why didn't Jesus tell his disciples what to write? Um, I mean, he, he held people accountable to what was written. So he had a chance when he was telling them, telling the Pharisees, have you not read? He could have said, didn't your tradition say, didn't you know, didn't someone tell you? He said, have you not read? And so that's the source. And again, it's not about the ink and paper on a, on a scroll. It's the word of God and, and what we have in scripture and what they had in scripture in the Old Testament. Uh, that he held them accountable to, not not a, not a sermon or not anything like that. So uh, I would say that Jesus does point to um, a, a scriptural standard. Um, epistemology. So that's an interesting to bring up epistemology because I think from the Christian worldview, when we're talking about epistemology, when we talk about reason and logic and understanding, those things only make sense in a Christian worldview to begin with. If we start with a godless worldview, there is no epistemology, right? So, you know, Proverbs says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom, and wisdom and knowledge. So that we can't know anything. The word proof doesn't mean anything outside of Christian worldview. So we need to understand that first. So we're talking about epistemology, how we know things. We believe in a revelatory epistemology and that things are revealed to us. Uh, and I would say primarily through scripture as a rule of faith, the things about God are for us today, primarily done through scripture, spoken, repeated, memorized those things. Uh, and th that was also Christ revealed himself to the apostles and they spoke with him and, you know, said, this is not me, but God speaking to you. So we have a revelatory epistemology as far as that's concerned. Um, yeah, so it's, it's the, fact, the idea of needing an infallible church, I don't get that in history or scripture either, as far as the church claiming to be infallible. I don't know if you think Pope Francis today is infallible. Like what he says is scripture, God breathed, theonostos, scripture, word of God. That's, I'd be very surprised to, to hear you say that. Um, how many of the Pope's words are inspired by Holy Spirit? Yeah, so, okay, so just talking about like, if you read the Bible, if I read the Bible, again, I, I know that the Holy Spirit is, is, does work, but the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict scripture. That's how we know the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone. If they read the Bible and say, hey, but what I get from this is to kill my neighbor. We know that's not true. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say that. And so if someone reads the Bible and comes away with ideas and thoughts that contradict the Bible, that's how we know that they're, that they're off because of the Bible itself. So if you come out and, and read, you read the Bible, scripture alone, and, and say, I believe in the bodily ascension, uh, assumption of Mary, I would say, well, I don't know what you were reading because I read the Bible too and I didn't see that in there. So if you read the Bible and come away with some of these other doctrines that aren't in there, then that's how we know because of what you read that, that, it's not, that the Holy Spirit was not, not working in you. So um, that's how I would say as far as epistemology, how we know things, how the Holy Spirit works through. We reflect it and measure it up to the standard of the Bible itself again. So that's how we can kind of keep those things in track. So canon, history. Okay. Um, I was wondering if, if you would go there. I'm not sure because I, I kind of disassociate those two. Canon and scripture is kind of different things. 
but uh, we can definitely talk about it. When we talk about Canon, we need to understand that uh, there are two there are two basic understandings of Canon, and they've been categorized as can like say Canon one and Canon two. So Canon one is God's understanding of what Scripture, what He's revealed to the world. Canon two is our under human understanding of Scripture. So if I write a book, there's a canon, there's a Solomon White canon, whether it's published, whether everyone, anyone reads it, whether anyone collects it or puts it in a table of contents, doesn't matter. There's a, there's a, there's a canon, there's a, a canon if I write one book. So if I write two or three books and someone finds them and reads them and understands that those go together and they were written by me, that's canon too. That's a secondary understanding of canon. So whether church, the, the, the Catholic church, no organization defines, uh, they don't determine canon. They can, we can recognize canon, but we do not decide what's canon. That, that's something that was never done. I mentioned Hippo and Carthage, which I don't think were ecumenical uh, councils. Those are local councils. I know the Council of Trent did. So yeah, that's another thing too. So the Council of Trent was an ecumenical council in response to the Protestant Reformation. And they did decide a canon there, and they decided that it was the ancient Latin Vulgate. Well, there were still additions to be to be made of the latin vulgate later and that didn't end until i think clement's edition like third or fourth edition hundreds of years later so when the council of trent declares the latin vulgate to be the canon it was still under iterations it was still under there were still additions and iterations to be to to come so was council of trent wrong when they decided that that canon that the latin ancient vulgate was uh canon or they, or they they mean, well, whatever edition we land on of the Latin Vulgate, that'll be canon. What we have today isn't canon or is canon, but then it changes later. So were they incorrect or not inspired when it was actually changed? So I think Ezra was taken out and, um, or uh, there's a fourth Ezra, because like Ezra and Nehemiah used to be the same book and there's, there's a couple other ones. And I think Judas was taken out later on by Clement's edition um, after the Council of Trent. So the Council of Trent decides a canon that is later changed. So were they wrong or there's some discrepancies there as far as the council deciding a canon. And it's not necessarily, again, it's not deciding or determining, it's recognizing when John said, when John the Baptist said, uh, behold, Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. He was not making Jesus the Lamb of God. He was declaring it and recognizing it, but he was not making it so. So just between recognizing a canon, that's canon two, and deciding what's canon, that's God's business in Canon One, His understanding of what's canon. So there's a canon that that exists, whether we believe it or not, whether we recognize it or not. All right, time on that one. All right, Alex, you have ten minutes to respond. Thank if you're you. ready, your time yeah, starts. Cool. Oh, time starts. He's responding to my opening statement or to my rebuttal. Uh, he's responding to your opening statement, but he also has the option to address some of your rebuttal. Okay. All right, time starts right now. Yeah, so the, the canon division, I don't see that mentioned in scripture anywhere. So you're you're gonna pull that out and say, well, it's two different ones, but I don't know of anything that says there's two different canons in scripture. So you're using an extra biblical idea to justify what is supposed to be your primary foundation. You also brought up St. Augustine and he's quoted in his uh, work against the Manichaeans, quote, I would not believe the gospel unless moved thereto by the authority of the church. So I don't think he's a great proponent of sola scriptura in the face of that quote. And I don't know if you would think he's even a Christian if he believes that. That'd be an interesting question. 
is he a real saved Christian if he thinks that he would not believe the gospel unless moved by the authority of the church? Not the authority of scripture. Um, some other things were, you know, I, I, if I said that the Catholic church like made up the canon, then that was, that's not correct. They didn't make it up, but they did, as you pointed out, have to recognize, and there were disputed books and there were churches that were using books that did not end up making it into the new Testament canon. And there were people who were using books that ended up getting kicked out of the new Testament canon for a while because those councils didn't happen until several hundred years after Christ. So if that's not the authoritative word, where do Protestants get their New Testament? Why is it the same as the Catholic New Testament from Hippo, Carthage, Trent, etc.? It does not appear to me that Protestants have done the work to comb through all the text you'd have to comb through and do your own work to figure out if they're inspired or not, etc. Which ones are we going to keep, which ones are we not? Uh, Luther famously wanted to get rid of James's epistle. And was talked out of it. So if Luther had kicked it out, would your would your gospel not have James? I don't know. Um, there's no contradiction. Catholics don't claim that their traditions contradict Scripture. So there's there's nothing inherently contradictory between between Scripture and Catholic tradition. And no Catholic is going to say, or no good Catholic would say, that our traditions somehow are at odds. With scripture, they can't be. The Holy Ghost inspired scripture. All Catholics acknowledge that. But the Holy Ghost also preserves the church that Jesus built, which is what scripture says Jesus was doing, was building a church, not writing a book. So there's no contradiction between those. Uh, let's see. I think you said something like there's no, you wouldn't expect to find agreement in like core doctrine among Christians. And that seems a little odd since Ephesians 4 or 5 says there's only one faith in the church. So I'm not sure why you'd expect there to be significant disagreements in faith. Um, Protestants just have to flat out assert that tradition is not inspired by the Holy Ghost. I don't think there's any way you can prove that it's not. Um, you just have to say that it's not because it fits the sola scriptura position. But how would you prove from scripture that the traditions are not preserved? Especially ones that are not, as you said, the everything that is true is not listed in the Bible. Like, it doesn't specifically say 2 plus 2 is 4, but we still know that's true. And so if there are traditions that aren't even specifically mentioned in Scripture at all, how would you know they're not infallible? Because my point is you don't have a teaching authority. You have to read the book for yourself and say, well, does this match the verses or not? You don't have an actual church authority that can answer the question. Um, a couple other things were, maybe some of that can come up in cross-exam. Uh, interesting you brought up Athanasius, like he's a Catholic bishop saying mass, hearing confessions, like doing all this stuff that Protestants today would cringe at, and, uh, you're relying on him to defend Sola Scriptura, it's really interesting. But it is true, he defended against the Arian crisis, but um, a lot of Protestants are starting to embrace Arianism too, which is interesting. How much time I got, Julian? Four, okay, sweet. Let me, let me go back through some notes then. Um, let's see. I'm sorry, five and a half minutes. Oh, okay, perfect. What else did I write down here? 
maybe I can go through some of these now and they'll come up and cross exam later. Uh, I don't I don't get the I think solo versus solo scriptura is kind of a distinction without a difference. I thought sola meant one. So I'm a little confused at the uh, difference between, well, I believe in sola scriptura, but not solo scriptura. Well, I, I thought sola meant the one infallible rule. Does it really mean that there are other infallible rules that are just kind of like subcategories of it? I don't know. Well, maybe we can talk about that. But I, I think that's kind of a, a word game, if I'm being honest. Um, Catholics believe in revelation. I think this is a key point. I, well, yeah, I wanted to bring this one up. Um, I don't know any Catholic who denies believing in revelation. Uh, scripture is the written record of the revelation, but Jesus's revelation was personal and through his example and through his preaching and teaching, he did not come writing a book and the Bible didn't descend from the clouds fully formed, which he could have done being God. Uh, he wrote the Ten Commandments with his own hand, so he presumably could have given us a fully intact Old and New Testament bound gold-plated scripture, but instead he's talking about founding his church, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Um, yeah, uh, I think that was one about First Timothy 3.15. It was like, well, I don't know why you think it's the foundation. I'm like, the verse literally says it's the foundation of truth. So uh, if you're just going to be a Bible literalist, which... I would do for that verse. Let's read it one more time. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So the word ground there is from the Greek, hedroima, which means a foundation, a stay, or a support. So that's why I say the church is the foundation, because that's what scripture says. So using your own authority, it puts the church at the bottom. And it's obvious it has to be because you're quoting early church fathers like Athanasius and Augustine, who are church leaders, church authorities. They are not scripture. They're quoting scripture sometimes, but who are we relying on to defend us against Arianism? Not the book. We're relying on Athanasius to defend us. Because if all the bishops had presumably apostatized, there'd be nothing left. The scriptures get changed or thrown out or burned because there is no one left to preserve writing it. They have to get translated. They have to get copied. They have to get passed down to the next generation. They have to be saved from pagans and barbarians who are burning things and taking things over. So if there's no church authority to do that, who preserves the book? You're going to say the Holy Spirit. Well, the question is, how does the Holy Spirit do it? Does he use men as the instruments, a.k.a. the church, or does he just do it by a divine act with no men? We don't have any good examples that Jesus doesn't use humans. He could do all the things he has the humans do. In the Old Testament, he has Moses do things, and he has Moses pass the staff to Aaron to show that it's not Moses. But God could just do it all. Why does he have to work? He doesn't have to, but why does he choose to work through these human instruments? He does it again in the New Testament. He gives the apostles the power to cast out demons, all kinds of stuff. He gives them the power to heal. Why doesn't he just will it all by himself? He's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. Why does he set up a church with people to carry out a mission? Especially if Sola Scriptura is the foundation. Uh, what else do I have here? 
Um, yeah, this was, how do you, uh, it's, some stuff would seem to be pretty obvious in scripture, but the whole debate is what do the verses mean? And if there is no actual authority that can settle the question, this is an endless debate. There's no way, and the Protestants can continue to subdivide. People can continue to one minute break off from the Catholic Church. Oh, all done. One minute left. One minute left. One minute. Oh, one minute. All right, I'll wrap it up then. So that's the whole debate: is how you're going to say, well, you compare it to Scripture, but that's not the point. How do you know that's what it means? Very obvious verses like. I will build my church on you, Peter, becomes a massive debate. And probably, no, he's not building it on Peter. He's not starting a church. But billions of Catholics read it and think that's what it says. And millions of Protestants read it and say, no, that's not what it says. So the whole debate is, can anyone settle this authoritatively? Because we are both reading the same book in theory, but sometimes we're not even reading the same book because you threw out the Apocrypha. But the New Testament's the same. So... We're all reading the same New Testament. How do we get that many different opinions if all we got to do is compare it to the scriptures? All That's right. That's the big problem. That's time. All right. Nice, nice. All right. Now we're going to move into cross-examination time. So the way this is going to work, uh, Solomon is going to have seven minutes to ask Alex questions. Uh, Alex is only allowed to answer questions, not to question back. Uh, we do request that you kind of keep your answers short just so the time we get enough questions in during that time so uh try not to um explain too much that you feel wasn't already explained in your um opening statement and rebuttal you do still have a closing statement so just for the record all right gentlemen let me unmute solomon's microphone unmute alex microphone all right and your seven minutes starts right now okay awesome um okay maybe some some clarification as well um on uh so let's see so, so do you believe that two plus two equals four is a tradition you said there are traditions no. i said all truths not contained in like all truth propositions are not in the bible i would agree with that yes that's yeah that's that's something i says soul scripture is not that it won't change, tell you how to change your trim transmission on your car right, right. yeah we agree. um so you said there was no church authority so you were asking if there's uh as far as the authority of the church do you believe the church is the only authority to interpret uh what scripture says there has to be someone who has the final say and so if it isn't the church, then I don't see how it could be anything else. So how is that not sola ecclesia? Well, Jesus said he built a church. So would you say that you believe in sola ecclesia? Well, define that again for me. The church, like you said, is the final word. There has to be a the final, final say. Yeah. Yeah, if that means that the scriptures are still very important and they're still divinely inspired the sola ecclesia doesn't mean that the scriptures are not um god breathed or divinely inspired but it does mean that they that that the church is the final rule of faith as far as as far as interpreting scripture as, as the final say on what these things mean how is that how is that not sola ecclesia i i mean if it is what's the problem I'm not saying that sola ecclesia discounts scripture. I'm not saying that. I'm, you're saying the rule, uh, the church is the final say on what these things mean, pretty much on what anything means. 
And so how is that not sola ecclesia? Because I know the Catholic Church doesn't claim doesn't claim that. That wouldn't be your official position that the church is the final rule of faith, but you kind of just said that, didn't you? Well, who who doesn't say that that's what it is? I, I'm not I, aware of, like, I don't, I don't know what you're trying to get at. Like, are you saying that? Are you, is, so I, I believe sola scriptura, that, that the scriptures are the final right. measuring stick of, of everything, that we compare everything, church, doctrine, person says right. anything, we measure that too. Uh, so you would say, uh, so, so ecclesia is the church is the final, right. is the, is the regular fide, the rule of faith, right? As is that what you're I saying? Tell, the Catholic position is that the church is the safeguard the preserver of the divine revelation. Does because that mean that scripture is not the safeguard? down to future generations. Yeah. So does that mean that scripture is not the safeguard? No, it, it can't defend itself as obvious by the fact that we're having this debate. It is a, it's not a, it's not a person. Well, do you believe the, the word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword? What do you mean by living? It, it's not, it's not talking to us in the debate not bodily i mean jesus i mean the word became flesh so that's another thing too that when i say the word i don't mean again i don't mean ink and paper and leather i mean the word of god i mean you know god's word will not return void i mean do you believe that to be true that god's word will not return void yeah that he everything he said and promised will be fulfilled yes in the god's word not the church will not return void but that god's word will not return void do you believe that his his the whole this is the problem his word is what established the church but okay so the, the church depends so part on of his word not failing is the church That's okay and, 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 and i and i wouldn't discount the church either but what i'm saying is the word is is sufficient it to the word will not return void i mean right so that's the final so you so would you so i mean i guess we're kind no, of when you say word written no, mean? I mean the word of God. I don't mean ink and paper and, and leather. I mean the word of God, logos. The word became flesh and our, our understanding, that primarily being through scripture, yes, sufficient for that. But yeah, the word of God. Well, I, I feel like there's scriptures. Some... God, God's breathed, God, theonistos, God breathed. I don't think Jesus can fail. I don't think God can fail. But if that ends up meaning, if what you mean by that is sola scriptura, then no, I don't believe in sola scriptura. Okay. So would, you, would you say you believe in sola ecclesia with these categories and distinctions we've, we've kind of defined? I mean, I, I don't know. If, if okay. what you mean by that is that the church is ultimately the instrument that preserves Christ's divine revelation, then yes. Okay. So, and, and so I have a question, and uh, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road on why we're talking about these, what, what anybody watching, right. what I hope would take away from this, like why social scripture, why, why this, why the church, why this? So and it's primarily because of this. Um, so if someone, if someone were to come to you and say that God spoke to them mm-hmm. and told them to have an abortion, they said, I, I, right. I've, I've prayed about this. I've thought about this. I've cried about this. And I've talked to my priests. I've talked to my friends. I've talked to my parents. I've talked, you know, and I just feel like God wants me, I'm, I'm eight months pregnant and I feel like God wants me to have an abortion. What right. would you show to her to show that that's not true? Well, it depends on where they're at. You know, Paul, Paul didn't quote uh, the Old Testament to the Greek pagans. They didn't know the Old Testament. So you'd have to know 
I'm not talking about Paul. I'm talking about you. Like if 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 a no, girl Tom, came that's to my you. explanation though. I, I I can't just answer that in a vacuum. I'd have to know more about the person, what their situation is. If they're already someone who knows about what the church teaches and what scripture would say on abortion, yeah, and you can start quoting that stuff right off the bat. But if they're a total heathen who doesn't know anything it doesn't typically do much good to start with in the old Testament. God said this, cause they're, they're yeah. nowhere near that. So I mean, so I, would, I can't was, answer it quietly. I'd have to know more about the situation. I mean, she would expect to be hearing a word from God. So I mean, she would expect to believe in God. And so, yeah. So just a situation like that, where someone says, I think God is telling me this and it, and it's something like that. I want, I, I should have an abortion. Something clearly we know that, that God would not say, do you think God would tell someone to do that? Do I think God would tell someone to murder their baby? Is that a serious yeah. question? I mean, I, you know, I'm just saying like that's... <laughs> no, I don't think God that would tell someone true. to murder their baby. But why would that not be a word from God? What would you show that person that... that All saying, right. look, time. I'd show them Psalm 139, 13, you in the mother's womb, thou shalt not murder. I'd go to scripture, basically to the point. So that was called time. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So now the role switch. Alex, you'll be the question asker. Solomon, you'll be the question answerer. So Alex, your time starts right now. All right. So do you agree that divine revelation ended with the death of the last apostle? Yes. Okay. So where does scripture say that? It doesn't. It doesn't need to. Then how do we know it's true? Because there are truths outside of the, of the Bible, which I've already said. But it could be wrong, though. Um, no, I don't see how that could be true. That uh, I mean, Paul said these are the, these are the words from these are not my words; these are from God. You know, the apostles walked with Jesus personally. Everything you know, Jesus, everything that Jesus said, we have uh, not everything he said, but yeah, there's no revolution. There, it's the same way I know two plus two is four. The same way I know how to fix my transmission in my car is there's not right. right. The, so I've already are, said the Bible does not contain all truths. Right. But can you know that infallibly? Um, it's not contained in scripture. Yeah. Can you know for sure that that's when revelation ended? Yeah. How? Because the same way I can know two plus two equals four. The same way I know that there is a well, God. That, that's not a math it. equation, though. I know, but it's a truth. That, that, that's not saying, a natural law that everybody would know. You, you um, have to have, in order I've to know said, when revelation ended, it has to be revealed to you, Correct. To, to know that, yeah. I yeah, mean, so it's it, it's not the same as saying that's how I know two plus two is four. That's you're asking insane. me to you're asking me to measure every truth to the scripture, which I've already said. That's not what's that's, that's not my position. I'm not going to measure everything I know to scripture. I've already I, said. Well, that. I'd say everything you know, just this one specific point. A truth that 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 it, revelation is stopped with the last apostle. <laughs> scripture doesn't say that. So how do you know that's true? Because scripture does not contain all truth. I've already said that. I've already. No, but that, that's not, that's a jump. You don't have any actual justification to know that with certainty. You can, you can think that. You're allowed to think that. But if you think that's a certainty, it's not a certainty. Okay. I, I don't see where you, how, how, you, how you're drawing that conclusion. But I think that would be under, I, 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 don't, I don't believe all truth is written in the scripture. I didn't say all, just that one point. Any truth. That it is true that revelation ended with the last apostle, the How death of the last know? apostle. Because uh, because we it's because I can measure anything, anybody because if someone comes to me right now and says they're an apostle and say something, I, I I know that that's not true because it's not they're not revelation has ended. Do you agree? Do you not believe that? 
Like, oh, no, you... I agree, but the church tells me that it ended. What if they told you differently? Uh, Alex is asking questions during this period. Sorry. Right. Well, that is a good question. So anything the church tells you is true. <laughs> okay. Well, is, is anything in scripture true? Isn't all scripture true? Yes, but not scripture does not contain all truth. So that's the same cop out. <laughs> Everything in scripture is true. I'd be like, oh, isn't that convenient? That's real convenient. Well, but if it's true, it's true. So yeah, next I question. We, I think we agree on that. Yeah. Do you have infallible judgment? Me in my flesh, bodily flesh? No. The Holy Spirit works through me to discern things. Yes. So how do you know when the Holy Ghost is infallibly guiding you? Because whatever I say or think would be measured up for scripture. I use scripture as my measurement of anything that any idea I get from reading the Bible does not measure up. How do you know me. you're interpreting it correctly? Because that's, I, that's I, I know you can read it. How do you yeah. know your interpretation of what you read is coming from the Holy Ghost? By, by having it be consistent with scripture. I'm if asking how you know it's consistent. By reading scripture. I don't understand. I'm answering your question. If I read something and I think this. I, it, I know it's true because of this verse. Because of this so that if scripture. I read the same verse and don't think what you're thinking, how do you know that I'm not the one who's in touch with the Holy Ghost? Because it contradicts Scripture. How do you know? I say the same to you. Well, so it, it, it would depend on what the thought is or what the idea you're getting from Scripture. So is. Matthew sixteen eighteen, when you don't when you don't think the church is built on Peter, and billions of Catholics do, yeah, how do you know they're wrong? Well, I do. I think the church was built on the apostles and the disciples, and Peter being included. That, as far as that, no, making him the first pope, the head of the church. That is not corroborated by other scripture. You're using right. one That's verse. That's your claim, but how do you know that? Because billions because of people. Scripture does not show Peter being a pope or any sort of special authority over the other disciples or apostles. So, an idea that Peter's the first pope is not supported by scripture. That's your claim. But other people claim otherwise. People with a lot of background and scholarship, like St. Augustine. Well, those people are depending on tradition, not scripture. They don't so see St. Scripture... Augustine a real Christian? Yes, I believe he was. Why? He followed the Pope. He did, I, I would not believe that he thought that the Pope... He, he defended scripture and he... he I just read you his quote. I would not believe the gospel if, was, if I was not moved by the authority of the church. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't read every word of Augustine, but I mean, I, I'm well, not saying Augustine's infallible. Is that a heretical all, idea? I'm not saying, I'm not saying you have, if you believe in the Pope, I'm not saying all, no Catholics are Christian, even one that has some idea of following a Pope. I follow my pastor, but I don't, I don't believe he's inspired or anything like that. The idea that Peter is the first Pope is not supported by Scripture. It's just not. There are we literally can, millions of books what, what other scripture, about that that prove oh, it. But what other scripture would there be to support the idea that Peter is set apart you ask me as questions. some special I... officer? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. Yep. Which version of the Bible is the divinely inspired one? Which, which copy and which version? I would say, well, I mean, the original Greek and Hebrew, we, which we have translations of. Yeah, today, which one is yeah. actually infallible? Are all the copies of the Bible infallible? NIV, KGV, do we yeah. read? Are they all infallible? Yes, I would say all the, the all the English translate. Well, I mean, besides the the in ones that are intentionally corrupted, like the New World Translation by the Jehovah's Witness or the Book of Mormon or something like that. But KJV, ESV, NIV, um, all fine, all fine. Yeah, reliable for for truth. 
in scripture. Yes. So the Dewey Reams has the Apocrypha, the others don't. The what? The Dewey Reams has the Apocrypha, the others don't. So how are they both divinely inspired? The Apocrypha were always understood to be deuterocanonical, to be secondary, even by the Jews in the Septuagint. It doesn't matter though. They're included in that Bible and they're not they're not considered canon. They were not considered canon. They're even in the Jerome, Dewey Reams and you just said Jerome, Jerome did not consider them canon. They were always annotated. They were always they're in the Septuagint, which is from the third century BC, 300 so, years BC. And yeah. they're still in the Dewey Reams time. Okay. All right, time on the Q&A. So we're going to move into our closing statements. Solomon, you have 10 minutes for your closing statement uh, whenever you're ready. Okay. Um, I don't have much prepared for a closing statement. I mean, I kind of pretty much said everything, I think, in my opening statement uh, as far as the invitation to provide for, for Alex to provide something else that is uh, the, the rule of faith, that is the, a sole infallible rule of faith. Um, he claims, I, I was not expecting a, a claim to sola ecclesia as being the final, even after scripture word of what all these things mean. Um, I would encourage Alex to look at the church and see how it's changed and how an infallible rule can, can change. And I don't, I mean, yeah, there's just, there's just so many from council to council, uh, burning heretic, <laughs> there's just so many things that uh, that, that, that would change to, to, to disqualify it from being a uh, infallible soul rule of faith. It was, it's never said to be God-breathed. The church is never said to be theonostas. You can say, on this rock, I, I build my foundation on Peter. Okay, that is, that is the church, which is the bride of Christ, subservient sub, in like a supporting role to scripture, but it is not the breath of God. It is not exhaled by God as scripture is, which Alex would agree to. So I think when we're looking for the standard of the standard, that's a pretty good standard. That's the only thing. The church is never said in scripture to be theonistos, breathed out by God. It is uh, a, a, a pillar and buttress, yes, but that is lifting up and supporting the main thing. It doesn't become the main thing. And I think that's the thing that uh, Catholics misunderstand about the church being kind of a pedestal for the scriptures. If you put the Bible out on a, on a podium, you would not assume authority in the podium and i'm saying I'm not trying to get, denigrate the church the church is necessary the the, the, the scripture the bible does say the church is necessary i'm not saying I'm trying to abolish the church or denigrate in any way the church is necessary but as it's always subservient and under the correction of scripture something the scripture is the anchor it is the never changing never failing infallible never contradicting breath of god we have nothing else today that is Theonistos, that is the breath of God. It's the only thing we have today. I agree that at times scripture was spoken in oral, in oral preaching and things. Yes, but the apostles are dead and we have the word of God in scripture. And yeah, I would just like to extend the invitation again uh, to Alex to uh, come out of, I guess, the the burden of, of just depending on other men and other organizations to decide what's true, um, to, to, to read scripture and then read, hear other things and doctrines, ideas that are not in scripture and holding to those things rather than scripture. Those mainly being uh, throughout history, indulgences, purgatory, the assumption of Mary, uh, all, all these kinds of things that are just not in scripture that come from men rather than scripture. And having that's the danger of having men be your rule of faith, a final rule of faith, not, not scripture interpreting scripture, but fallible man interpreting scripture and taking their word over the infallible scripture. 
So if I want to read scripture, I measure it up and know it's true by scripture, by can making, seeing how it's consistent with scripture, not by deciding or asking someone else or even a group of people who've been doing it a long time, what they think and taking that as the rule. I said measure scripture by scripture and it stays consistent and perfect and infallible. That's how I know scripture is true because it doesn't contradict itself and it is God breathed. So, and we, we have nothing else today that is God breathed. And that's, that's the best standard of the standard that I can think of. All right. Alex, whenever you're ready, you have 10 minutes. Thank you. So in closing, uh, we've seen how Sola Scriptura fails in three main ways. Scripture itself does not even affirm the theory. It would have to, otherwise it can't be the actual foundation. You need to appeal to something else to affirm it, which means it's not the actual foundation. Uh, it lacks a workable epistemology. You can't actually end up knowing how the books of the Bible became the books of the Bible because you can't actually trust with any infallible certainty that people who put it together were guided by the Holy Ghost. Even though, strangely, you can be guided by the Holy Ghost when you read scripture, just not when you're assembling the canon which I find perplexing. Uh, and history is just completely blows it away. There's, there's no way to get around all of the historical questions that are unanswerable if you just look at the text of scripture. You need the church in order to answer those questions. But I shall end with a final question. And it was kind of what we already got into in cross-exam. It was, which Bible is the true Bible? So let, let's grant for the sake of our argument that the true Bible exists in English, which is a big if, but I still ask you, which Bible is the true Bible? Wycliffe's, Tyndale's, which version of Tyndale's? You had the Miles Coverdale 1535 English Bible. You had the Matthews or Rogers Bible of 1537. You had Taverner's 1539 Bible. You had the Great Bible of Cranmer issued in 1539. You had the Whittingham 1557 Bible issued in Geneva. And that Bible actually had an epistle of John Calvin listed in the New Testament with the rest of the scriptures. That was printed and passed off as scripture. You have the Genevan Bible of 1560. You have the King James 1611 Bible. You have the 1885 Revised King James Bible. You have the Pearl Bible published by Field, and I could go on. The point has been made of simply just these versions that I mentioned, and there are many more in English that could be mentioned. Which one of those is the true, sole, infallible rule of faith? Are they all infallible? Are none of them infallible? They were written by various men at various times, all who are not apostles, by the way, who don't have access to divine revelation the way the apostles would have. And they all have varying additions, subtractions, and errors and copying mistakes. And we know the Holy Ghost cannot contradict himself and that God is perfect. So we cannot issue an infallible written word that contains any error or, un or untruth. So must we abandon all the English versions and go to Luther's German Bible, despite him adding the word only to Romans 3.28 so that it would say man is saved by faith only? This edition is missing from the 1611 King James Bible. So which one is the true one and which one is the false one? And if you decide, okay, I've done some studying, and the true one is the King James, I say, based on what could you rule the others out? How did you land on the King James? Aren't you a fallible man prone to making all sorts of errors? Aren't you reading the Bible, several languages and translations removed from the originals in Hebrew and Greek? Don't you only have an Old Testament and a New Testament to begin with because it was canonized by Rome at the Council of Carthage? Otherwise, why aren't you analyzing all of the old books? And if you didn't get your New Testament from the Roman Catholic Church, then where did you get yours? 
Did you do the work of the ancient church and analyze all the original source documents, manuscripts, letters to see which ones were divinely inspired and which ones weren't? How could you even recognize which ones were and which ones weren't unless you were being guided by Holy Ghost? Furthermore, if all the various versions are more or less sufficient for salvation, which is what I think Solomon said, then why do you treat the Catholic Bible with such contempt for having the seven extra books, even ignoring that those books existed in the Old, Old Testament Septuagint and that they're now su suspiciously missing? How can you have a problem with those books if they're not essential to salvation? But if they do jeopardize a man's salvation, then I'm afraid you now have the monumental task of analyzing the many hundreds of Bible versions to test and know which one is the true one. Because for all you know, some grievous salvific error could have crept in due to human error or malice on the part of men or the devil. So as you can see, the one question of which Bible is the true Bible leads to countless more questions that cannot be answered on Sola Scriptura. You are trapped by your own methodology. The only infallible and totally safe rule to trust and the only safe, totally reliable system for delivering faith and truth is Scripture, according to Solomon. But all the questions we're asking right now come before you even know what scripture is, before it is even put together into one book, before it has been translated from the ancient languages, before it's been copied into modern day English. So in order to answer these questions, the sole scripture proponent must leave scripture and look to history. But he has no certainty in history. His ability to know anything about history is not infallibly guided by the Holy Ghost. And even the method of how to translate the Bible is not written in the Bible. It is an oral and written tradition that exists outside of scripture that we have to take or we wouldn't even have a Bible. So scripture itself doesn't even give you permission to translate the Bible. We just assume that we're allowed to translate it into, into different languages. But the Bible doesn't say that. SS is therefore refuted and crushed under the weight of its own failed epistemology. It cannot answer a single question of biblical formation, transmission, canonization, distribution, or translation with any degree of certainty because the theory is false. The truth is, God created a church, Matthew 16, 18, a teaching church, Matthew 28, 19. And when one rejects this church, one is left with no stable foundation, which should be obvious to anyone who reads the Bible, because it attests to that very truth when it calls the church the pillar and the foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. All right. All right, cool. Thanks, guys, both parties, for participating uh we're gonna go into the q a in just a minute uh although i do have since i'm hosting i get to ask the first questions <laughs> uh <laughs> so i had a couple just from uh i took some notes while you guys were talking so uh alex i had a couple of questions um one sure. yeah <laughs> <laughs> one was about uh canon so uh right are, is your position that carthage was when the canon was finalized in like as what we have today yeah that is my understanding that the rough outline of everything was finished. Okay. And what year was that? Uh, 397, I believe. Okay. So before 397, did uh, every believer, and I want to say even pre-believer in the, in the uh, pre-Christ saints, so, so the Israelites that would have been living underneath uh, the kingdom of Israel, right. did they not have any degree of certainty that what they were reading was inspired scripture? Well, that, the Carthage would have been the entire compilation of the Bible, the New Testament and the Old Testament. But obviously, mm. the people in the Old Testament had the books that they had. Right. But how did they know those were for sure inspired if there wasn't a church to give them the authority to say these are inspired? There sure. was. The Jews had their own church. They had the prophets who were like the church leaders. 
they had Moses and it was Moses's authority that they relied on to right, know that those were the books. Moses died at some point. Joshua took over. Right. Right. Joshua dies at some point. We go into right. the judges period where no one's really ruling. It's just a series. If you read judges, every man did what was right in his own sight. And even the prophets weren't necessarily leading the nation so much as calling them to repentance. So at what point do they have an authority to say these are the final uh, these are the final canonized inspired books because we can't really trust the Sanhedrin because they themselves, we see in their interaction with Jesus, didn't hold the scriptures. Well, the books were already, they already existed, Bill. They'd already been. Right. No, I understand that. But what tells them the difference between tradition and canon if there wasn't a church to establish that until, and we don't have a final canonization until 397? You mean like the Old Testament people? Yes. And the pre, pre-Carthage church for that matter too. Well, I think the, the whole point with the pre-Carthage church just shows how little emphasis was put on the scripture. The church lived and thrived and converted millions of, I, mean, I don't know about millions, but tens of thousands of people for hundreds of years with no set canon. Right. So how did they know anything they were reading was God-inspired with nobody to tell them it was God-inspired? Well, that's, that's, I, that's my whole point. You're not going to know with certainty if there isn't the church to tell you that. So until, is your position, and just to clarify, is your position that until 397 at Carthage, nobody could know for certain what was inspired by God? No, well, there were books people generally agreed upon, like the Gospels, pretty much everybody agreed that those were divinely inspired. There wasn't much dispute, but there were books that were disputed. Right, but what I'm asking is we we couldn't know set in stone until the Council of Carthage. No, yeah, not 100% set in stone. There were ones like the Gospels that were basically accepted by everybody, and people probably would have been in an uproar if someone told them they weren't inspired, mm-hmm. but you don't have the definitive say-so until the church authorities come together. And again, not so much on the Gospel ones, but there were a lot of right. other books that people didn't know. Mm-hmm. Some were reading and some weren't. And so if someone doesn't get the final say on that, then you end up having all these different churches with their own scriptures and they're not mm-hmm. all going to line up because I like James and that person doesn't. Right. Okay. I just wanted a clarification on that. Um, the second one was you said that no good Catholic would claim that their traditions contradict scripture, obviously. Right. Uh, my question would be, how then do you know if a tradition that comes down from the Pope would contradict scripture? Say that the Pope were, uh, say the modern Pope, for instance, Francis, he's a very liberal kind of guy. If he were to give you a, a command or a, a doctrine or a teaching from on high, how would you know if that was from God or not? Would you have to just take it on faith because he's the Pope? Well, separate tangential discussion is within the Catholic world, there are a lot of people who don't think Francis even is the Pope. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely because he contradicts dogmatic teaching. Okay. How do you know? Okay. So he's not the Pope. Some people would say, I don't know. Is right. your position that he is the Pope or that he's not the Pope? No, my position is he is not. He's not the Pope. Okay. So do you guys have a Pope right now from your position? Not one that I'm aware of. Okay. So how would you know what's official church doctrine from God if you don't have a Pope to tell you? Well, everything that's already been ruled on doesn't just magically go away. Right. So, so there's 1900 plus years of solid teaching that doesn't so, just disappear. So in order for the Pope, the Pope's authority isn't necessarily based on the lineage or um, I don't even know how, how you would. the Okay. So the Pope was picked pope is supposed to be the successor right 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 but he's decided on by the council of cardinals right they get together they convene they decide or i guess they wait for the word from god on who the new pope should be right the way the way the pope is elected is part of canon law which can change it's not okay. part of dogmatic teaching 
Okay, so but these Cardinal, these current these current church authorities decided on this pope, correct? Well, yes, because he sits in the building. So, but you don't there. think that they were correct in their decision? No. So, how then can you trust anything handed down from the church authority if they were wrong about who the pope is? No, because they are not part of the church authority. Then you have so you they cannot, so they're out too. They are. In okay, so, you have so actually, where are we at church authority at this point? Because the Pope's gone, the people that pick the Pope is gone. Who's, who's I don't the know next if the guy? Pope's gone. I just don't know who it is. I know that the one who sits there and claims to be the one is not is not the one. Okay, so at but this, this is point, a separate debate, which we're not right, right, right. No, I, I, I feel you. I, I don't. I wouldn't know enough to debate. I don't know the point as to why some people say he's not <laughs> or not. This is the first I've ever heard somebody say that. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is the claim was that the church is God-breathed, but now we've just established that we can't trust the church to pick the Pope, and we can't trust the guys who pick the Pope to be part of the church. So how is that God-breathed? You can't, you can't trust non-Catholics to pick a Pope. Right, but I mean, according to like them, you, you they're, they're in the, uh, You're assuming that the people who wrote Scripture, obviously, were Christians. If you yes. had really good reason to think they weren't, you wouldn't believe that what they wrote was God-inspired. So, Okay. So your position that is sense. that just because they're in the church, high council members of the church, even though the church is supposed to be God-breathed, and theoretically, according to your stance, the church is what preserves God's teaching and word, we can't necessarily trust that they are actually supposed to be the authority and God-breathed. But you cannot trust that anyone who claims to be a church authority is a church authority. So how just do we know like who— You can't trust that anyone who says, I have the right Bible, right. has the right Bible. So how do we know who is a church authority? What standard do we hold them to? They have to be held to all the past dogmatic teachings. So did the people who – how does one get up into the higher echelon I don't see of the how church? this is relevant to the debate, though. Well, because what I'm getting at is that you're saying they have Keep to be – relevant. question. Right. Well, what I'm saying is that you're saying they have to be – they have to be consistent with church dogma. Clearly, all of these guys who are up in higher levels of the church and the pope himself were believed to be consistent by everybody who was underneath them or they wouldn't be at the position where they are. I Okay. What so they that? had to get this – so – I think so, Julian's asking, where does it start? Like, how, wh right. who, who's making the right decisions and how do we know they're right? Like, how far back do I have to go to where we can say, okay, this guy was correct. Therefore, every decision he makes well, is correct. That, it's important to point out that that problem is not a problem that only a Catholic would have. Every person who claims to be a Christian. Well, has, I mean, it is a little bit different because I don't claim to have a supreme human authority on earth right now. If I was Mormon, that might be a problem book. Right, but if I was Mormon, that might be a problem for me because they do have a president that they have to trust talks to God. Uh, Catholic has that problem because they do have to trust that the Pope is the vicar of Christ. But you I don't have, have a... God talks to you to read the Bible. Uh, well, I don't trust myself with my own final authority. Bible, yeah, I'm, so. I'm not my own final authority. Right. It doesn't itself, interpret though. itself. Right. Well, I mean, that, we're talking about hermeneutics. If you but... are the one reading it. Right, but what you're saying is that that's not a problem unique to Catholics. And I agree with you. It's, it's a problem that any... Uh, church that has a current living human head would have to have and the book you need to get to the book now how did it get passed down well, well apparently i can't trust even the people who passed it down because we can't trust unless they were in line with everybody but even the people who say they're in line can't be trusted to say they were in the line point with everybody is, else. this issue goes to everything this is not a catholic problem everything i just laid out you have to know which bible is the bible okay Last thing, for real last thing. <laughs> Sorry, this has brought up another thing because you talked about epistemology. Um, so when we get into issues of epistemology, you do believe that things can be known certainly, right? There is certainty that can be known in life, right? Of course. Okay. So uh, Solomon said that apart from the Christian worldview, 
uh, that the claim of certainty really has no bearing in real- reality. It doesn't make any sense. And right. you, you kind of balked at that a little bit. Um, do you believe that? No, atheists- I balked at that because the implication is that Catholics are not Christians. No, no, no. That's not what he was saying. I, I think he was trying to appeal to the, the, the mutual foundation you would have that because we both believe in God, then we both have a degree that we can both believe in certainty. Yes, you right. yes, you have to believe in God if there is. Okay, cool. That's I just wanted to get a clarification on that because I didn't know what your reaction was kind of given away. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no. It wasn't to the point itself. No, you definitely. Okay. If God doesn't exist. There is no truth at all. Okay, cool, cool, awesome. All right, so Abby, uh, we're gonna go to you if you want to go ahead and get us with the questions that came in. Okay, hey guys, uh, there's quite a few questions, so I guess we'll just go ahead and get started. Um, First question that I have is going to be for Alex, and it is from Ernie. And it is, do you believe that the faith was once and for all delivered to the saints in the time of the apostles, according to Jude verse three, and that God gave, sorry, and that God gave to the apostles in that time, all things that pertain to life and godliness, as Peter wrote in second Peter one, three. I'm going to need you to repeat the question. That was pretty long. (laughs) <laughs> okay it is kind of a long long one do you believe that the faith was once and for all delivered to the saints in the time of the apostles according to jude verse three and that god gave okay pause because okay. that's too big that one point was the faith once and for all delivered to the saints yes the church is the safeguard of the divine revelation there is no new divine revelation okay the second part is going to be, and that God gave to the apostles in that time all things that pertain to life and godliness, as Peter wrote in Second Peter 1.3. He gave them all things. I mean, yes, that, and that's why they can pass on their authority, because he gave them the power to bind and loose. Okay. Is that final answer? Yes. Okay. Uh, the next question is going to be to Solomon from Ernie. It's what do you believe the kingdom of heaven is? Uh, the kingdom of heaven is, is that a sola scriptura question or like what the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is? Or um, <laughs> I believe uh, the kingdom of heaven is, was ushered in with Christ uh, that he, you know, the, king, the kingdom of God is, is here now. Uh, and, yeah, I believe that we are in a uh, already but not yet sort of uh, church age that is ushering in the final kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God that we will eventually get to at the get to fully at the second coming of Christ. Is that what, what is the kingdom of heaven? Is that I guess that's my answer. I don't know how, how, yeah, how that has to do with no. Sola Scriptura, but sure, let's talk eschatology. <laughs> and, and that was at the beginning when my comments weren't loading and so that i may have gotten that confused that might not have been a question that he actually wanted to ask so that may have been my fault but i just but, uh, that while we that's have one that, of the first you, ones i wrote down alex how would how would you define the kingdom of heaven we got more comment questions let's get to those you already asked three questions <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right okay the next question is going to be from steven to alex And it says, you say that the church is the final authority. So what is or who is the final authority between the Catholic and scripture contradictions? Who's the final authority? Repeat the last part again. 
who is the final authority between Catholic and scripture contradictions? Well, I think the implication is that there are contradictions and there aren't any. So. Yeah, it would, it would depend on what you have to consider a contradiction too, like right. something that the Catholic church teaches that isn't in scripture. Maybe they're talking about is that, I don't know, like the bodily assumption of Mary or her, her perpetual virginity. Right, something like that. Like that's something the Catholic Church teaches, but is not in Scripture. Is is that a contradiction, though? I don't know if that's a contradiction. Yeah. Well, if it's not in Scripture, it couldn't be a contradiction. But anything, I think, what it's trying to say is like anything that somebody that's not Catholic or anybody anytime that may uh -huh. say, "I feel like this is what the Catholics believe that contradicts Scripture." Who has the final authority and the say in that matter if the Catholic Church is the final authority? The Church, because they are the authority. Okay. Okay. Um, the next question yeah, is there, going to be... There's no third party you appeal to outside of that. It, the buck has to stop somewhere, and it stops at the Church. Okay. The next question is going to be um, also to Alex, and it kind of stems from this, but it's from me. Um. Earlier, when you were talking to Solomon, you said, uh, do you have infallible judgment? Asking him, right. you know, personally, does he have infallible judgment? And then you said, how do you know what your er interpretation is correct? Or how do you know that your er interpretation is consistent? Right. Correct. And so you could, Solomon could ask you those questions as well, right? And you would probably say, I do not have infallible judgment. And I don't know that my interpretation is correct or consistent. Uh, so what are you basically like, what's the real question that I'm okay. I, I just wanted to make sure that's what you were meaning by that. My question was what group of men, right. Or what, who is the human that you could ask the question to, do you have infall infallible judgment? And he answered yes. And he was true other than Christ. A true Pope is the vicar of Christ, and when he's defining matters of faith or morals that have to be believed by the universal church, then he is infallible. A lot of Protestants think, Catholics think, that the Pope is infallible in everything that he says or does, and that is not true. And you don't know who the Pope currently is right now, though, right? I do not. So this final person, we don't know where they are. No different than when a Pope dies. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, okay. it's a little bit different, though. That's oh, I got a point on that. The it's a little bit different. longer, but the principle is the same. Right, but but the, the whole thing when a pope dies is that they, they have a meeting. have no that, final authority right now? Uh, well, but I, want, I want to stick to this point because you said it's the same as when a pope dies, but when a pope dies, they go into the steps to get the new pope. They did that, and the one that they got, you don't We are off topic. We have comment questions. Go to comment, go to comment <laughs> okay, questions. okay, okay. Let's get to, to the comment questions. questions. Get to the comment questions. <laughs> Okay, this question is going to be from Sol to Solomon from Bernadette. She said, are you saying that if someone has a different opinion of scripture than you do, then that person must not be inspired by the Holy Ghost? No, a different opinion. I'm not claiming, I, cl I don't claim infallibility. I'm not saying my opinion is the opinion. First of all, opinion, uh, that's kind of a weird word to use. But no, if someone, if I said, I think the scripture says this, and someone else said, I think it says this. My, my answer to that would be, well, let's see what scripture says about that. And let's like study it all through, not just one verse plucked into and to be interpreted by some organization, but this says this, but this also says this. 
So let's that that's proper biblical interpretation, and I think we in the Holy Spirit works through that. But the 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 word that the Bible is the word of God, and it is living and it is active, and it will not return void. I mean, I believe all those things. So and it claims to be the breath of God, and I believe that, and so I, I look to it to interpret itself. And and we are you know we we have reason and understanding and the Holy Spirit to work through those things. So yeah, it, the it wouldn't be my opinion that that is the or the, any opinion of man or any decision of man it would be scripture you know if i if i come away with something from scripture that contradicts scripture not my opinion or not my church's opinion but other scriptural passages and other things that scripture says then we know it's not true but i think the bible does confirm itself and that can be demonstrated for sure okay and okay this one's uh, another long one and it's from ernie to alex um if i need to i might have to split it up again like i did the last time so okay. i'm just gonna start it says what evidence do you have that the catholic fathers and current clergy speak with at least if not superior authority to scripture so what all right one more time what evidence do you have that the Catholic fathers and current mm -hmm. clergy speak with at least, if not superior, authority to the scripture? So equal or superior authority to the scripture. Not really sure what he's getting at there. I mean. Okay, let me let me finish because it says I asked this in the context of the fact that the apostles and other writers of the New Testament perform miracles to confirm. Sorry, I'm reading it off the comment. It keeps scrolling up. Let me just start again. I ask this in the context of the fact that the apostles and other writers in the New Testament perform miracles to confirm that they spoke and wrote with the authority of God while the New Testament was still being revealed and written down for preservation. In other words, why should I believe them? And why should I believe you? Well, I mean, that's the same question I have to every Protestant. Why should I believe what you say? All this whole debate is where do you think the foundation is? The, both of us have a presupposition. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, I, I, is I think what he's, the church. Yeah. I think what he's saying is the apostles holds is what we're trying to figure out. Cause I would say, I would point to scripture. I wouldn't say this ever changing organization with a leader we can't even find right now has the final say. I would say scripture has the living word of God has that foundation. This is the comment I, time. I, I know, think, but I'm just saying so you a question for Protestant that I'm going to even answer. Okay, but I think uh, what he was saying is the apostles performed miracles to show um, kind of proof that they were, right. and you or people in the Catholic Church do not do that, so why should he believe? The Catholic Church has a massive history of miracles. Okay. Like all throughout history. Would you say they're the only ones that have miracles? But I say they're the only one that have actual genuine miracles. I think I, I think I would have to say that. Okay. Um, I'm gonna. This is the last question I've written down, and then I'll go through and make sure I didn't miss any at the end. Well, let's actually um, let's stop with this one. This one will be the last one because we're getting a little long on time. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm just gonna look through here because it's a question for me, but I don't want to miss somebody if they ask because okay. <laughs> I've already asked one. I tried to get them all. 
It was a lot more comments than questions coming through. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is from Eric to Alex. He said, ask Alex if he knows about the Jesus oath ordered by the Pope. The is Jesuit oath, I think he, is what he was saying. Oh, sorry, Jesuit oath. I'm sorry. Ordered by the Pope. Is that inspired? I don't even know what the Jesuit oath is, so I would have to look that up. Yeah, just <laughs> we're all clueless here. <laughs> Definitely not going to comment if I don't know what it is. Yeah. All, all right. right. Well, we'll cut it off there as far as questions go. We're running a little long. Uh, Alex, thank you so much again for agreeing to stay up with us. Uh, I know it's late for you, but yeah. we appreciate you it's coming on. We appreciate you at this point. Yeah, yeah. You know, it is, but we're always long winded. So, uh, <laughs> But thank you, man. We appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thanks hope, for having me on. I hope uh, you feel welcome. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll do a part two at some time, maybe more of a dialogue than a debate and just have you come on and talk for a while and just hash things out a little more. Yeah, I think if we did a follow-up, uh, it wouldn't have to be formal. Yeah, cool. I think that would be good. Yeah, because there's only so much you can address in, in the time restraints and right. questions are asked and then not addressed. And right. yeah, that definitely there's, there's I mean, a formal debate is good to be heard, but there's also uh limitations yeah, pros and cons yeah and i think i think we've both kind of demonstrated that we wouldn't be screaming at each other and talking over and not listening to each other right. in a less formal dialogue so right. yeah i definitely would would want to have a more conversational uh back and forth again absolutely um yeah thanks alex for coming on i really appreciate yeah, it thanks everybody you're you're you're, you're yeah, part of what we want to make this become man and so that's awesome for you to come <laughs> on and and have this conversation this is what we want this this forum this this platform to be of opposing ideas hashing things out it, it's it's good for everyone to just learn mm -hmm. what's going on and really think these things through uh in a in a deeper way that's that's really awesome i really appreciate you coming on for sure yeah, not everyone me. would not everyone would we've asked people <laughs> they're like uh they're very they're very brave behind a keyboard very uh right. willing to just shut you down and this this and that and then hey you want to talk about us face-to-face -face conversation no <laughs> no, yeah, that's lacking so, in a lot of people these days. I agree. Yeah, so I really appreciate it. That, that's really awesome, man. So that's cool. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. So uh, the right. video will be up on our page for a while. So if you guys need to walk back, watch it from the beginning, feel free to do that. Uh, we're also going to put it on our YouTube ch YouTube channel, which is also the time and place. Uh, Alex, I believe you're recording it too. Do you have a YouTube channel you want to plug or a place you're going to be uploading it? Uh, no, I actually could not record it because I needed permission from you to record <laughs> <laughs> all right well once i get it downloaded to my laptop i'll email you the file so you can uh do what you will with it so yeah, yeah so this will not be edited in any way because yeah, we'll, no one we'll knows how to do it. that <laughs> right, right. it's too much work yeah so, much work. <laughs> this will be all of it nothing edited awesome thank cool. you I well, thanks everyone it. for joining thanks everybody for watching we appreciate the questions um yeah just stay with us on social media on this page uh we'll be talking about what we're going to talk about next week we haven't decided 100 yet but just keep up with us on social media you'll see updates come through so uh thanks everybody and bye all right see you thanks bye